to preach for you all. So, well, welcome. We're glad you're here with us this morning. It's always bad when your iPad won't turn on when you, all your sermon notes are on there. So. <laughs> Somebody actually tweeted out that you should always print off your sermon notes just in case. I was like, dude, my, this thing's fairly new. It should never happen. Well, not going to lie, I just got a little nervous. <laughs> um, but welcome. Peace be with you. If this is your first time here, my name is JJ, and I am an elder candidate here at Veritas Dayton. And uh, I'm not the typical guy that preaches here on Sunday mornings. In fact, I'm like the third in line to preach. Garrison, who's our lead pastor, is away at vacation, and Dan Turner, who is also an elder candidate, who also preaches on a very frequent basis, is out this morning as well. So I am excited to be able to bring God's Word to you this morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, and our text is going to be verses 12 through 20. We are going to be continuing our series on Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians. If you don't have a Bible, if you notice there are Bibles here at the end of the benches, uh, each one of the benches, please grab one. Take that home with you. It's our gift to you. Um, but if you turn to page 566, uh, that's where Galatians 4, 12 through 20 is. Uh, if When you came in, you should have received a bulletin. And on there, we have a Connect card. Uh, if you would, go ahead and fill that out if you're new. Um, it's a place for your name and about you, if you want to learn about city groups, gatherings, baptism, anything like that, um, go ahead and fill that out, and you can either drop it in this bucket or out on the black box on the hospitality table. And on the back side there, what we care even more about is this section for prayer requests. If you have a prayer request of any kind that you want to have prayed for throughout the week, go ahead and fill that out. Again, put it in those two same areas. Uh, we go through these and pray over these weekly, and uh, so if you have something, please fill it out. Um, we'd love to pray for you. All right, let's get into Galatians four twelve through 20. Please stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached to you the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we are glad to gather here this morning to worship you, to worship your Son, 
I pray that you, as Brian prayed earlier, would be at work through your word, not only as we read, but in the word preached, Lord, that the Spirit would be working within our hearts, stirring up within us something that we cannot do on our own. God, I, I pray now that you would be with me as I preach. Pray that you are made much of, and that you would just lead me humbly. Lord, I pray that those who have ears, ears to hear, that they would hear. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> if you've ever been around a young child at any point of your life, which, if you've been in our church for any amount of time, would have been about 20 minutes ago, uh, you know one of their favorite games to play is to imitate you. Usually this, consists, this game consists of repeating every single word you say for what seems like an unending period of time. For what seems like an unending period of time. Sorry, I, I, I won't do that anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just couldn't resist. This game that is extremely annoying for adults and older siblings brings quite a bit of happiness to that young child. Another form of imitation a child likes to take part in is acting and dressing up like their parents. I have three daughters. My oldest two like to put Sarah's high heels on and walk around. I, I, I don't know how they walk around, but they make it. Um, or, or my family are huge Kentucky basketball fans. They'll, they'll put on University of Kentucky gear um, that their grandmother got for them, not because they are that they have a true love for wildcat basketball, yet. <laughs> uh, but it's because they see their papa and their mommy and pretty much their entire Baker clan family representing the greatest college basketball program in the history of college basketball. Sorry. I, I knew I was going to get one boo at least. When I was younger, I remember putting shaving cream on my baby face and my dad handed me a razor with, without a razor and, and shaving just like him. All of those sayings are, are either really cute or just annoying, but nothing that's too harmful. Yet there are other ways in which children will imitate, imitate us that can start to form behaviors and habits uh, within them that aren't cute and are no longer annoying, but can be detrimental to their growth as human beings. Instead of cutely repeating after us, they use a word, a phrase, or a tone of voice with us, a sibling, or another child that they've heard from somewhere, probably from us, that is used to tear down or hurt. Some of the time they say those things not because they know what they mean, but because they have heard them elsewhere. They imitate blindly without fully knowing the true consequence behind what they are saying or doing. But imitation can be a good thing also. If we, as God-fearing, Jesus-loving, spirit-filled people, are living in a way that is bringing glory to God, then wouldn't we want not only our children, to, but anyone to imitate us? The greatest example of this in my life 
is the one set by my daddy. I feel like I've shared this story countless times, but to me, it's worth repeating. He set a great example of a life worth imitating. I remember waking up every single morning and my dad being in his chair, either reading his Bible or praying. I remember the countless times that he went out of his way to serve others within our church and the people of our neighborhood, even if it was a sacrifice for him to do so. And in seeing those things growing up, and even now, I try to be like my daddy. I wake up early to do my devotions and pray just like he did. I try and serve the people of our church and community imitating my father. Well, I've titled today's sermon, Paul's Plea for Freedom. Because in our text, and, and here's the big idea for this morning, Paul pleads with the Galatian church as their friend to live as he lives in freedom from the law. Again, Paul pleads with the Galatian church as their friend to live as he lives in freedom from the law. And if you are a note taker, I'll just have you know, um, kind of switch some things up on you, still have four points, but this is how they're going to go. And we're going to walk through this passage a little bit differently this morning. We're going to begin at the second part of verse 12, work our way down to verse 20, and then we'll end coming back to the very first part of verse 12. So instead of starting with Paul's plea, we'll start with Paul's remembrance, then on to verses 16 and 18 and Paul's protest. Thirdly, we'll go into 19 and 20 and look at Paul's response. And lastly, what's first on your bulletin here, we'll end on Paul's plea. So Paul's remembrance, Paul's protest, Paul's response, and Paul's plea. To begin, Paul's remembrance. If you go back a few months ago, when we were, or it may feel like longer than that, uh, when we were in Galatians 1 and 2 and learned of Paul's biography, and in remembering that, you'll recall that Paul wrote to the church of Galatia about how he received the gospel from Jesus on the road to Damascus, and how from there he then journeyed on to Arabia, and from there to Jerusalem, and to Syria, and Cilicia, and then back to Jerusalem again. All along the way, preaching and teaching to the Gentile people. Then he arrives at Antioch where he confronts Peter for walking out of, the step, out of step with the truth of the gospel. He goes through all of that, yet he doesn't mention how or when he meets the Galatian church. But now in today's passage, we get to learn of how Paul came to know them. Turning our attention there, we read starting in verse 12, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. And Paul 
begins by reminding the church of Galatia of the friendship and the relationship that he shares with them. You did me no wrong. And from here to the end of verse 15, he reminds them how they met, how they cared for him, and the evidences of grace that were visible in their care. His first encounter with the people of Galatia doesn't sound like the most joyous of occasions, does it? There's something going on with Paul, and it's not delightful. In fact, whatever it was, whatever it was he writes that it was a trial to the Galatians. What was ailing Paul's body? The short answer? Nobody truly knows. It's a great answer, right? Paul doesn't explicitly say what is giving him so much pain. Some scholars would argue that Paul was battling malaria. Others would argue that he was battling some type of eye disease. And some scholars argue that it was some other form of sickness. But all of those are just educated guesses. And in the end, what the ailment is doesn't really matter in the end. But what should matter to us is that he didn't allow that ailment to keep him from preaching the gospel to those who came to him. In fact, this is Paul living out what he addressed to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. I'll read it for you. It's, he writes, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul doesn't allow his trials or sufferings to get in the way of his ministry. In fact, he boasts in his weakness so that Christ may be made so much greater. And that's exactly what happens. These pagan Gentiles hear the gospel from this worn out, sick, old preacher, and salvation comes to them. Christ is made glorious and great in the weakness of Paul, and many people are loosed from their slave chains and welcomed in as free sons and daughters. Despite Paul's ailment, the Galatians don't dismiss him or turn him away, even though it causes them stress. It causes them trials. He reminds them of the way that they received him. Their reception of Paul displayed the evidence that the Spirit was already at work in their lives. As Paul puts it, You did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Wow! They did not reject him or turn him away or despise him because of his ailment. They welcomed him as if they were welcoming a heavenly being. But even more than that, as Jesus himself. Could you imagine that? 
Just stop and think about that. That you cared so well for someone that they told you that you treated them as if you were the king, they were the king of kings and lord of lords. If you cared and served for them in that way. Just think of what that service and care might look like. It might look something like verse 15. Paul wraps up this section of remembrance by reminding them just how far they were willing to go in their love and care for Paul. For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Whoa. Surely this sentence has to be hyperbole. But it does in fact show, show just how deeply They cared for Paul. Not only did they receive him as if he was Jesus, but they were willing to give give him what was most cherished by them so that for Paul's healing and benefit, they were willing to make themselves uncomfortable and even suffer for Paul. What does this say about the way that we are supposed to receive others into our church? for the way that we are to receive our neighbor and those in the community around us. Of course, the Galatians received Paul this way. He was the apostle Paul, right? Who wouldn't welcome him that way? Not so fast. It's true that he was Paul, the apostle, apostle, but to the Galatians, he was just another guy that was teaching about a new God, could probably be added to all the other gods that they already worshipped. But upon hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, these people repented and believed and turned from their old gods and old ways and received Paul. As a gospel people, isn't this how we should receive each other? As if we were serving the Lord himself? Being willing to sacrifice what is precious to us our time, our energy, our resources for the benefit of each other. Isn't this what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 25, 35 through 40? For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. A stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Well, we have a great opportunity to do this right now within our church we have a, a, a woman in our, in our church, Rochelle Garrison, I believe mentioned her last week, who just adopted twin babies and brought them from Kansas City to Xenia. And one of those babies, Aiden, has health issues. And so we have a wonderful opportunity to be able to come alongside Rochelle and serve her and bring her things, do tasks for her, things that are going to cost us time and money and effort. Another opportunity that we have to serve is right here in this school by being at the the family nights when 
the kids and the families eat dinner together here. We can have the opportunity to engage with them and the parents and, and the staff that are here and serve them as if we were serving Christ Jesus himself. Another way is through investing time at the Victory Project in Old North Dayton. It's a wonderful opportunity to come alongside boys and give of ourselves to benefit them. And lastly, there's a new ministry that we're exploring called Safe Families, something that we, along with other churches throughout the Miami Valley, are looking to bring here to Dayton. It is a ministry that lets the church be the church in the foster care system. And we are excited to learn more about that. My hope is that we are compelled by our statuses as sons and daughters, just as the Galatians were, to receive and to serve sacrificially. Now we come to Paul's protest. And these verses are a, that was then, this is now portion of the text. Paul goes from reminding them about the relationship that they once shared to the present and the things that have gone downhill quickly. He writes in verse 16, Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Up until, our, up until now in our text this morning, Paul has been writing very gently, reminding them of the friendship once shared. He uses this very precise statement to ask if by preaching the truth to them, and their denial, denial to believe it, if in fact he has become their enemy. Maybe not so much an enemy, but more of an opponent than a friend. His hope is that in using this type of language, that the Galatians will snap back to reality and once again believe the gospel that Paul gave them when he first met them. Unfortunately, there is another group that is fighting for the Galatians' attention. The ominous they in verse 17. They make much of you. Um, and it's the Judaizers. If you remember from any of our previous weeks, you'll remember that the Judaizers were a group of Jews trying to get the Gentile Galatians to follow the law of Moses specifically the need for circumcision, for salvation. And boy, were they good at convincing the Galatians and their need for it. They used the age-old tactic of flattering someone with words, but really all the person is doing is using them, knowing full well that the person will not receive what they fully desire. Hear how Paul puts it. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. The Galatians may not see what's going on here, but Paul certainly does. <clears throat> he recognizes that these false teachers are using them only for their own selfish ambition and gain. As one commentator puts it, one thing is clear to Paul, and he so desperately wants it to be clear to the Galatians. The Judaizers aren't self-giving, but self-serving. 
Yes, they say wonderful things about the Galatians, but as Paul points out, for no good purpose. Rather, theirs is a very self-serving and self-promoting purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. There it is. The aim and ambition of the agitators is to be made much of. It's kind of like that junior high or high school relationship that you had wherever who you were dating at the time just wanted to be together so that they could say they had a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, but when it came to like actually hanging out, they really didn't want anything to do with you. But at school, hey, this is my boyfriend. This is my girlfriend. <clears throat> they were always coming up with an excuse not to show up. Here's the thing. Paul knew all too well what was going on. He knew the game that was being played was just a farce. They put on a good front, but even they weren't keeping the law. That's the thing. They weren't even keeping the law. Look ahead to Galatians 6.13. Paul writes, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. This is where Paul, Paul's protest comes in. Paul's protest comes in. He's saying, "Hey, those guys are just using you so that they can boast in your flesh. Not me. It's good to have zeal if it's directed toward the proper things. I desire that you have a zeal for God or of the Spirit." and not of the flesh. And it doesn't matter if I'm with you. All I care about is that you are living a life that is pleasing to God. And I believe that this protest should be joined at the picket line of grace and of freedom. While we might not be being flattered by Judaizers, what or who is trying to flatter us away from the true gospel. Is it, as Garrison said last week, a new or old form of legalism? Surely you're not falling into the trap of circumcision to the gospel, to adding circumcision to the gospel. But what trap is it? Who is pulling you in and why are they doing it? Do they truly care for you? My, my answer would be certainly not. For how can one truly care for, and truly care for and lead you astray from true life? There's certainly wisdom for leaders in here and how to deal with a straying flock, but really it could be applied to the whole church. This is Paul speaking truth and love to the Galatians. He lets them know what is going on, full of care, but direct and firm. That should be our response as well when we see a church member or a family member that starts to wander off, being drawn away by false doctrine or the things of this world. We need to be caring and loving, but firm and direct. You then come to, to Paul's responses in verse 19 and 20. How does he respond to what's happening in the lives of the Galatian church? He attempts to shake them out of their spiritual stupor. 
by using one of the most striking images in the entire epistle. My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Notice the parental language that Paul uses there. My little children, in anguish of childbirth. He sees them starting to turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world and is suffering because of it. And you may have noticed, and I may have emphasized, the word again in verse 19. This is not the first time that Paul has gone through the anguish of childbirth with them. He went through the same suffering the first time that he evangelized the Galatians, and now that suffering must be endured again due to their attempt to add to the gospel. It is almost as if they were born, crawled back into the womb, and then were being born once more. Can you imagine that, moms? I mean, I've been in three delivery rooms, and I I can't imagine that just being the partner, um, much less the mom. And I mentioned this to Sarah last night, and her response to me is that she couldn't imagine any mom wanting this to take place. I, I listened to my wife on that. But that's how Paul feels right now. And it's how he will feel until Christ is formed once again in them. He longs for them to reach spiritual maturity so that he no longer needs to worry about them. What does this formation look like? Turn back in your Bibles to Galatians 2.20. I just want to read this real quick. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. The formation that Paul is talking about is taking place when the Galatians realize that they are in Christ, that as they are in Christ, they are crucified with him. So it is no longer them that lives, but the resurrected Christ in them. To borrow what Dan, from Dan's message on Galatians 2.20, Paul knows that the gospel that converts them is also the gospel that will mature them. He desires to tell them this face to face. He wants to be with them because he knows that this letter has been a little bit harsh and he wants to be able to speak to them in person so he can smooth out those sharp edges. Think of it this way. And everybody is probably going to think, yep, this is me. Have you ever sent an email or a text message that completely went the wrong way only because you weren't able to tell that person face-to-face? Paul wants to be able to, to be with them so that they can see his body language. They can hear the inflection in his words. They can catch the tone of his voice. They can feel the warmth of his fatherly embrace. Even though Paul didn't know how the Galatians were going to respond to it, he, he, he sent the letter anyway. It didn't stop him from writing it. The message was too important. The stakes were way too high. 
Which brings us finally to Paul's plea. Everything that we have walked through so far has been an argument for this beginning statement. Brothers, I entreat you or I plead with you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. We are now in chapter 4, verse 12 of Galatians, and this is the first call to action that Paul has put out. But what does it mean? Paul has just spent verses 8 through 10 convincing them how wrong they were for starting to follow the Mosaic law. In fact, he was saying that it was just, they just might as well go back to following the old idols and pagan gods that they were worshiping before. That, that, that by following this law, they were, in a way, going back to that enslavement. As, Genti- as Gentiles, these believers were never under the law of Moses. Yet now that these false teachers are getting to them, they are starting to come under the law and submit themselves to circumcision. They were becoming slaves again. And Paul pleads with them instead of to become as he was. And how had Paul become? Well, he had become as they were, free from the law. Just to make sure that we're totally clear here, let's break it down. Paul, who was a Jew, had become like a Gentile, i.e. free from the law. Therefore, it would make no sense for the Galatians, who were Gentiles, to start to live like Jews and to submit to the law. He was making the case to them to live free from the law and to live in the freedom that is provided by our adoptions as sons and daughters. And Dan and and Mike Myers will go in much more depth about our freedom in Christ. And I only wish that I could be here, but I just want to get that theme started this week because it's going to roll for the next two weeks. Freedom in Christ. So what does intimidating Paul look like? Excuse me. What does it intim- in imitating Paul look like for, for the Galatian church and then for us? Well, f- for the Galatians, he's longing to see growth and maturity, to see Christ fully formed in them. This means that becoming like Paul means that the Galatians would face suffering. In fact, they already know that and have faced it. In chapter 3, verse 4, Paul asked them, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? They had already suffered in some form, probably even from the people who they were going to, the Judaizers themselves. And then we know that they had endured the trial of taking care of Paul during his ailment, and now they were giving up. They were no longer willing to imitate Paul in suffering for the cross of Christ. They were trying to save face in front of their Jewish counterparts. 
they are walking straight back into their chains as slaves. For us, imitating Paul looks similar to what it would look like for the Galatians. As Dr. Thomas Schreiner writes, the progress of the gospel is accomplished by suffering, the suffering of its messengers. This has been the story throughout church history, and God intended that to be so. When the world sees that Christians are willing to suffer and die for their faith, it understands that something incredibly precious or someone and wonderfully delightful is at stake. Tertullian rightly said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, that the church advances as it proclaims a crucified Lord and lives a crucified life. The beauty of Christ is reflected in the humble and glad suffering of his messengers. No one delights in suffering inerrantly, but if suffering begets complaining and grumbling, the distinctiveness of the Christian faith is lost. It is the gladness and courage of the messengers, despite the pain in their bodies, that heralds the goodness of the gospel to the world. So it is possible most definitely likely that on the freedom trail we will face suffering. But don't allow that to discourage you. In fact, take heart and hear Paul's words to the Romans. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The sufferings that we face now will be nothing compared to the glory that awaits. The road of freedom has many dangers and toils and snares, but if we are imitating Paul as he is imitating Christ, we will start to see Christ fully formed within us. And I'm going to give the last word to Todd Wilson this morning. He concludes this section of his commentary like this. Only when, we, only when we're willing to endure suffering ourselves for the sake of others so that Christ can take shape in their lives are we truly imitating the Apostle Paul. This is the presence of what it means to imitate Paul, to walk in the way of discipleship, to take up our cross and follow Jesus, to serve one another in love, and to be led by the Spirit. And this passage invites you and me, as it does the Galatians, to imitate this crucified apostle as he imitates his crucified Christ. Oh Lord, let us imitate you. Let's pray.